But first to the multi-headed crisis involving consulting firm PwC, the government, the public service and leaked tax information. A crisis that spawns dilemma after dilemma as we learn more about what's happened. A very great deal is at stake. The Financial Review's Friday editorial was eloquent. PwC Australia is mired in scandal because it sold a confidential service to the public realm for private gain. Earlier this year, ironically, Tim Ryan, who heads PwC's huge US operation, actually named the very virtue that's been so critically lost in all this. Building trust, said Mr Ryan, has never been more important. Well, one way or the other, that advice was certainly not followed by a range of senior people inside some parts of PwC here in Australia. This morning, we'll try to pick apart some of the key features of this story, the implications for government behaviour, for private-public interaction, for whether PwC can survive this intact. And the big question, really, whatever happened to good ethical conduct? Joining me this morning to untangle some of these threads are Professor Elizabeth Sheedy. She's an expert in corporate governance from the Macquarie Business School and the ABC's business editor, Ian Verinder. Welcome to you both. Morning, Geraldine. Good morning. Uh, to, to the government sphere first, um, and it's pretty hard to keep up, I must say, so we're all sort of, you know, trying to help each other out. What do you see, Ian? What for you are the key features to have emerged in this timeline? Well, the timeline for, for a start, the just the amount of time that it's taken for this to actually emerge as an issue. I mean, we're talking about events that took place back in 2015, 2016, and it's now 2023 before we're actually debating this. Uh, then, of course, there's the behaviour of the firm itself uh, and just how many partners we're not entirely sure of. It does seem to be around about uh, a dozen or so people involved in this, even though there were about 50 on those that email trail. Uh, it, it's And then, of course, there's the relationship between uh, the government and the private sector and the and the degree to which uh, public service has been um, outsourced to private enterprise and the the potential for conflict of interest, which has now become a reality. Yes. Now, I must say right at the outset, we had a, a rather um, poignant text and I was going to do this anyway. This is from uh, a listener. Please be kind when you talk about PwC today. Their tax division is the culprit. There is another PwC. PwC division in Canberra who have not breached. There are innocent workers and partners from that division whose assets, livelihoods and health and mental health is in the hands of others, especially media. Please humanise this subject, three exclamation marks. So, I mean, there are 9,000 employees of PwC in Australia, most of whom are involved in audit, isn't it, Ian, and have been so. Like they, for instance, they audit the AFP, Treasury and the Reserve Bank. Now, that, that is a separate group from what we're talking about here, it would seem. That's true, um, but PwC also provides other services to each of those organisations, not simply audit functions. And I guess for a very long time, all of the big accounting firms, I mean, audit is a mandatory process. Every organisation has to conduct an audit of its financial affairs. Uh, if you're a commercial operation, you have to provide that audit to the uh, corporate regulator, ASIC. Uh, so audit is a mandatory function. What the big accounting firms have done is that they've used audit functions to 
get, you know, get into a company, provide a service for a company. And then on top of that, they've built themselves a huge consultancy business, which uh, then provides all manner of services to all manner of companies. And that is where the real profit uh, center is. I mean, there are a lot of people who work in audit. There's a lot of people who work in the consulting businesses too, who are entirely honest and try and do a good job. But I mean, what I'm trying to point out is that there is a potential for conflict when you start to mix commercial interest with public service. Yes, uh, well, that's exactly what I want to get to. I mean, I think it's 5% of PwC's uh, output is is the tax advice area. Consultancy comes ac- uh, on top of that. So I was, I was quite surprised to hear those figures. Look, the other thing before I go to Elizabeth is this sort of almost unbelievable revelation that the two arms of government couldn't talk to each other, that um, the ATO was in some sort of double bind. It, it, it couldn't tell anybody what it had found out back in 2016, about which it was absolutely irate, and it couldn't allegedly investigate it because of breach of, conf- because of uh, a breach of confidentiality issues. And then... Te- and Treasury's over in the same sort of, um, you know, city, uh, getting more and more enmeshed with this company. I mean, it just doesn't... Beggar's belief. Well, you, you can understand the confidentiality aspect with the tax office, and they take it extraordinarily seriously. And in this case, they, you know, they just simply decided that they could not share any... Well, they've always decided that they can't share any information that involves a breach of confidence with any other organisation. Which I suppose they is to our ha- advantage, isn't it? I mean, I suppose that's... Yeah, yeah they, okay. do have the, they do have the remit to uh, provide information to the federal police, uh, to a... Uh, if there was a separate... Um, task force that had been set up by the government to investigate this, and the only other body that they can refer to is the Tax Practitioners Board. And the other issue here Which none is, of us had ever heard of. No, that's right. But the other issue here is too that they could not actually investigate this either because it didn't involve a breach of tax laws. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, really, and I just find... In the one, I just don't fully know whether to believe all this, Elizabeth, (laughs) that they couldn't find a way to get word to Treasury, you know, through the AFP or whatever, uh, that that there was something really rotten at the core. It it, it is. And I I, I can't help but feeling um, dismay uh, that the Australian Federal Police didn't act on this sooner. I mean, they had information several years ago. Why weren't they taking... They could have done more much earlier. And it's only now that they seem to acting. Well, I mean, they say they couldn't. They're what They didn't feel there was enough. I mean, obviously, they formed their professional judgment there wasn't enough to follow up. Uh, but this surely has to raise some issues, doesn't it, um, th- for, for the future? Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, I, I mean, often what happens is our police services, our regulators are under-resourced. It's, it's a problem we see not just with the federal police, but, uh, you know, in other uh, regulatory bodies. So, you know, it's, it's a general problem that uh, they're under-resourced and there's many issues for them to chase down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, let's go then to uh, what you think might emerge from this, um, Ian, in terms of the work, public-private partnerships, in terms of future government-private sector interaction. What to you will will there be some changed codes in in your view as to uh, in the, in the future, or just a real reluctance to engage in this this sort of uh, partnership that has been considered to be very much, well, certainly put forward as in the interests of the taxpayer. 
Um, yeah, look, there's undoubtedly going to be changes as a result of this. And I think you've seen over the years, I think it started with the Howard government really, to really whittle back the uh, the public service uh, as a cost-saving measure. But even during the Howard era, what you saw was a, uh, you know, a cost-saving when it came to, you know, spending money in the public service, but the money was simply transferred and spent in the private sector to do the jobs that the public sector used to do. And that happened again under the, uh, under, you know, under the various uh, coalition governments. I think you'll see a very much a winding back of that now. There was a recent report uh, done by a government audit bureau that uh, suggested that last year around about $20 billion worth of um, government services had been outsourced. Now, that includes consultants. It includes a whole range of things. But it in, you know, if, if you transferred that money into uh, public sector jobs, you're talking about more than 100,000 uh, public servants. And I think we won't go back to that level, of course. We'll still have quite a bit of outsourced work. But I think you might find that there'll be a great deal more oversight when it comes to the outsourced of public functions. Uh, and, you know, look, in this case, the the partners concerned at PwC, they signed confidentiality agreements. Now, you know, each of us as journalists occasionally have to sign these kind of documents. And it clearly states that, uh, you know, if you leak any of this information, you will be subject to, uh, to prosecution. So they signed the documents and they knew full well what they were signing and they deliberately went out and breached the law. So there's a pretty clear case for, uh, for prosecution here. And, and as Elizabeth said, it's, it's quite extraordinary that the uh, federal police didn't do more when they had the opportunity. Well, did you notice the Attorney-General Dreyfus was very careful indeed yesterday on RN Breakfast in his comments um, regarding the Finance Minister Katie Gallagher's new test uh, about uh, taking on people in the future uh, uh, given uh, an examination of their past ethical conduct. But I was quite struck by how he chose his words very carefully, suggesting he felt he was in tricky legal ground, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, yes, that's true. Um, look, Geraldine, I just want to pick up a, a point that you made earlier about, you know, the concern about the partners in other parts of the business. And look, I think that is true. I, I have some sympathy for partners in other areas of PwC. But on the other hand, uh, I think they have to bear some responsibility. Uh, if they're going to be part of an organisation, they need to ensure that it has appropriate governance structures that are going to be able to ensure that uh, that people act appropriately. I mean, their partners in other areas of the business were happy to share in the profits flowing from the tax consulting business. Why weren't they... Uh, taking more care to ensure that the whole organisation was being governed properly. Well, why, uh, yeah, why, why me, that, do... Go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think it's good enough. A partner is an owner of the business. They are, in a sense, uh, you know, a shareholder. Uh, I don't think they can get off the hook that lightly and just say, oh, that was a problem over there. It had nothing to do with me. What do you suspect it says about the culture uh, that does prevail then? Now, given that there was so much money being handed out from government and they clearly felt that they were, um, there was a whole new line of work available to them. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, what it's, I mean, clearly there's a, 
you know, we, when we talk about ethics and behaviour and governance, you know, you often hear talk about, you know, the bad apple. Clearly there was a bad apple here and that person has been identified. But the fact that there were so many people on this email chain who either knew or must have suspected, it's, it's just not believable that they would have had no suspicions about, uh, you know, the source of this information. The fact that nobody apparently spoke up or if they did speak up, nobody was listened to, that says that there's something very wrong with the culture of the organisation, that, you know, ethical uh, behavioural norms have developed that this kind of behaviour is okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the problem with culture where you start to see bad behaviour become normalised. And, and, I, and I think it doesn't surprise me that this problem has emerged from the tax division because, after all, I mean, the whole nature of a tax consulting business is that you're advising people about how to minimise their tax obligations at the expense of other taxpayers. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the whole business does, you know, you're in ethically dubious territory to begin with. And, you know, it's what tends to happen when you're working in that murky territory um, it's very easy for, you know, it's a slippery slope idea uh, and, and things can tend to, tend to get, you know, develop on a more and more negative path. I mean, I'm sure many of your listeners would have seen the show Breaking Bad about how someone who started out as quite a virtuous person, they start down a road of, uh, you know, dubious behaviour and from there it escalates. Yes, well, I, I wonder in a way, Ian, whether the government is now... Uh, stuck in a sort of can't live with them, can't live without them situation now with consultants. I mean, we heard Andrew Podger, a former very senior public servant a few weeks ago, come on the program and said it would take years to rebuild the lost capacity in the public service. And, I, and you can see that Dr Glyn Davis, who's the head of the Prime Minister and Cabinet, and also Andrew Lee um, are setting up this unit to do precisely this, to bring in more strategic thinking into the public service. But And, of course, a lot of the major consultancies have a known practice of hiring former MPs and high-ranking public servants to their senior ranks. And unions have been warning about conflict of interest risks for a while. It turns out they were more right than wrong. Yeah, look, that's right. And I mean, the whole, you know, gamekeeper versus poacher uh, idea extends not just from, you know, the government into the private sector, but also from the private sector into public service. The head of the uh, Australian Tax Office, Chris Jordan, used to be a partner at KPMG. His deputy was also at KPMG. So you'll find this cross-pollination between uh, the public sector and the private sector uh, quite uh, substantial, really. It's it's really a very extended network. Uh, I don't have a problem with people, I guess, moving from the public sector to the private sector if they're working at, at full time. But it's the it's the cross where you get somebody who's in the private sector, as Elizabeth just identified, who's then brought into the public sector to advise, and it's giving advice to Treasury in this instance about how best to tighten up anti-tax 
avoidance laws and then going back to his firm knowing what those laws are. And it, this surely would not be an isolated incident. Um, you know, I've heard of various other uh, organisations where people have come in from the private sector into a, into a regulator uh, and then provided uh, advice on how to structure uh, a, a program to, you know, crack down on various activities and then gone back to their, their day job in the private sector with all of this information okay, right. that they've got, which is, you know, unique information that they can offer to their clients. This yeah. happens quite a lot. And this is where I think things have to be tightened up. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. It's managing conflicts of interest is incredibly difficult. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, I think everyone, everyone uh, you know, it, it's a common thing to encounter yeah. conflicts of interest. Uh, it takes a great deal of character okay. uh, to, you know, to be able to deal with this. Uh, one of the things I found particularly Very interesting... Very fast, Elizabeth. Yeah. You know, we've seen even, uh, you know, scandals in other peer firms of PwC where people have cheated on conflict of interest tests. Oh, uh, so, you know, this, this concern about conflict of interest, okay. uh, it seems to be a widespread one. Well, yes, it'll take effort. Yes, it'll be... Look, it's a fascinating thing to follow. Disturbing, but but extraordinary. Professor Elizabeth Sheedy from the Macquarie Business School and uh, Ian Verinder of the ABC's Business Centre. Thank you to you both. Thanks, Geraldine. Thank you, Geraldine. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.